Hello all, back again for another episode as I get comfortable. Hope everybody's enjoying their newest of almost Christmas seasons. I definitely have the drum set tree up in the loft. Maybe I'll put a picture of that up in the podcast. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? And just a little kind of like Easter egg for the video listeners. Video listeners. It's kind of funny. So today I was supposed to have a guest, but I do not. So we're doing a solo podcast. So cheers to that. But that's fine. I have a long list of things to talk about solo. It's just finding the time and inspiration to talk about them. But I'm actually going to keep a similar topic today that I was supposed to have with a guest and just talk about kind of the basis for it and as almost kind of an introduction to what will inevitably be kind of like a mini series for the podcast, even though I, I don't intend for there to be many of those. And I don't like the fact that it kind of has structure to it because remember there's no structure for this podcast, but it, it was one of the main creations, main ideas inside the creation and inception of it. So I did want to talk about it a little bit today. I do have some notes. I have not prepared or studied. This is all just kind of me writing ramblings down about ideas and concepts about what I'm going to talk about. And so I can remember some of them. I did brainstorm this with a friend who will be on the podcast very soon, as soon as I can find my way to Savannah. But Today we're going to talk about a concept that I've had in my mind for I think a long time and just haven't had the opportunity to really express it in a way that I felt comfortable calling educated, I guess. You know, not that it needs to be educated, it's more of a theoretical concept, but I think it's something that a lot of people share but don't think about too much right and this concept is the concept of a perfect album now let's go ahead and break down a a few things the album in the modern sense so you're talking about recording albums and the the evolution of recorded music uh, through the 20th century there's a lot of history there and albums have evolved through that right with the with the inception of the multitude of media that you would record music on. Some people would say reached its height at the record, right? Or the vinyl or anything like that. Some people would say we're at its height now with the digital age. I would disagree completely with that statement, but that's a whole separate discussion on why singles are ruining our listening pleasure and ability. But that's a whole other podcast. The history of the record is is nominal as uh, what I want to start to talk about today is going to mostly deal with things that came after the the inception of the approximate length of an LP, right? Um, I think that the the concept today and the kind of weirdness behind LPs and EPs and singles and what to release and when to release it and how to package it and what part comes first and what part comes second and what's the title track and everything is frankly disgusting. And I think that there was a small, there, there have been a small group of people in every musical genre in every decade that have understood the importance of music delivery and those are the people I'm going to be talking about today and addressing. 
the reason for this is because the motive for releasing music for a lot of people in throughout basically the last hundred years has been different. Some people have viewed music as a collection of things that they have written or a snapshot of their performances or a piece of art. And some of that was based on the technology that was involved in recording those and budgets and the way studios were operated. So if you're thinking about jazz albums in the you know 50s and 60s, you couldn't go into a studio every day for a month and lay down a million takes of drum tracks before you even started the guitars. You basically had jazz artists of that era, they had live takes of a lot of these things, and they went in for a day maybe, and they would do a live take of the whole album. Maybe they'd, or maybe part of it, you know, and they'd take two or three, and then they'd, or they'd come back a week or two later, they'd do another live take of the album or the second half and do two or three of each, and yada, 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 and they'd take the best takes. Whereas you have modern recording, especially digital recording, well, that's not exactly true. Even before digital, when you're talking about the, the preemptation of tape, right? The analog tape recordings. You can still do takes of things and then overdub it like so, but you had to work in a more sequenced manner. And the digital age has now completely blown that all out. And I can make uh, an album on my laptop with no instruments, which is not a bad thing. And I, I hate that people rag on that concept of the people that are making bedroom albums. I mean, one of them won a lot of Grammys this year, so take with that as you will. But moving on to the, the correct topic, I consider an album to be any collection of works of music, those specifically long albums, not little EPs, right, not three and four song collections. Um, I think those are a little different and often showcased for artists who are either starting out and haven't done a full-length album yet, which I don't think there really is a difference between them. I just think they should produce more material. I think most of these artists who release little EPs have got twice as much material, and I think the public would be okay with seeing it, but that's a different discussion. We're talking about any good collection of a length of, of music, right? By a, an artist that is meant to be taken as a, a meal. So I'm going to talk about music as, as a meal a lot, right? Uh, I think this is one of my favorite things that I picked up from some, one of my undergraduate professors was music is a, is a meal and we have an appetite for what we listen to in our ears. We have cravings. We have things that we enjoy listening to at different times of our lives and things that are healthy for us to listen to and things that are junk food for us to listen to. And none of it is necessarily bad, but maintaining a healthy diet of music to listen to is very important. I think that... I hate to make this assumption that's like, okay, well, that means that pop is like drinking soda and eating M&Ms all day long and if you listen to it all day long your brain's going to rot just like your teeth and you should just eat your spinach and listen to your Beethoven and that's not what I'm getting at. I think that the music that is the healthy music 
is not just the classical music and the over academic, you know, overstudied music. If it doesn't have a paper written about it, it's not necessarily unhealthy. If it does have a paper written about it, it's not necessarily spinach. It just is a different part of your diet. And every now and again, sugar is good for you, regardless of what you want to think about it. So let that sink in. So when I talk about music as a diet, music as a meal, that brings us to the, the concept of a perfect album being a balanced meal. When I say perfect album, I do not mean influential albums. I do not mean the biggest albums of all time, the most important albums of all time. So let's talk about some of the most important albums of all time in genres. Let's talk about Kind of Blue. Do I think it's a perfect album? Not really. Let's talk about Nevermind, Nirvana. Do I think it's a perfect album? Not really. All right, let's talk about, damn, Kendrick Lamar. Definitely not even close, right? And that's not to rag on rap or Kendrick or anything. I love Kendrick. Um, but we could talk about the Pulitzer Prize and damn in particular and its relationship to other material of its kin. The same way we can talk about Nirvana and the same way we can talk about Miles Davis. I picked all those because I think they're three great really defining pieces that sh signal a, a shift in generational change. So you're talking about the evolution of modal jazz, the evolution of grunge in the Seattle scene, and specifically with its, its worldwide outbreak with Smells Like Teen Spirit, and then the evolution of, well, not the evolution of, but the, the inception of introducing modern music, so like rap music of Kendrick into the, what some would consider a more academic sphere where the Pulitzer Prize has never been won before by someone outside of the classical jazz or otherwise generally academic music realm. So all of those albums, even though they're the most influential albums of all time, they fit in that list of just just the, the most influential albums of, of all time and the, the biggest, most worldwide things. I don't think they're perfect. I think that the perfect album is an album that is accepted and received the way an album was meant to be accepted and received. I think in a lot of ways, at the, at the very heart of music, there are artists who make albums because albums are the standard, and even though they know the album is the standard and I have to make an album and that's how it's, it works out, like here's my newest album, sounds a lot more heavy and and interested and and like you're inputting into the art even though you know okay well here's my single surrounded by some other stuff you're probably not going to listen to that would be a lot of modern music now it's not again not me shitting on modern music you can see other examples ex dot hair metal right so anything like that um, so moving on to what I think a perfect album is, it is a complete meal. It is something in particular, some of the most important attributes of this concept are that the, 
the concept of the perfect album is not controlled only by the listener. It is controlled by the public perception of the album. So the reason, I'll go ahead and eliminate one of those choices. The reason that Nevermind is not a perfect album is because that the even though Dave Grohl, Chris Novoselic, and Kurt Cobain might not have considered, especially Kurt Cobain, let's be real, might not have considered Smells Like Teen Spirit to be the greatest grunge song of all time, and you can argue that it was or wasn't. Greatest, maybe, most influential, probably yes, right? They might not have seen that coming, but it happened. They created a movement on accident, and that movement is now defined, and there are 13-year-olds wearing Nirvana t-shirts that they bought at Walmart, and they couldn't even name anything it's a travesty right and it's not that it's a travesty because of nirvana or because of kurt cobain or because of dave grohl and i would argue that a lot of people listen to nirvana because of foo fighters but we'll go into that topic in the moment the concept is that smells like teen spirit overshadows that album smells like teen spirit overshadows the entirety of nevermind even though the rest of the album is absolutely phenomenal and a world-class album by far do I think it's the best grunge album in general? No. Do I think it's the most influential? Yes. That's the difference. I think, and also, let's, let's go ahead and put that point out there. Perfect does not mean good. There are perfect albums that are not good. I think the best word for perfect that I'm attempting to, to perceive here is consistent. But consistent is also not correct because it can be consistently bad. It's not just consistently good. It's consistently... It, it consistently delivers exactly what the artist intended to the intended audience is the best single line definition for what I'm discussing here. And I think this is a concept that we miss as music listeners and as music producers because the thing that makes the money nowadays in particular is clicks, right? Clicks, 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 and how high you can get on the top 40, right? And an album doesn't go to top 40. Singles do. So, with that said, no, I don't think that any of those three that I mentioned earlier, in addition to a lot of other albums, fit in the perfect album category. In fact, I would venture to say that the perfect album category is controlled by albums that are by nature not the most popular albums because the most popular albums are driven by the most popular singles probably like 90 percent of the time and that's not what we're going for here at all so let's break down and again like i said at the beginning of this i will have other people on this podcast to talk about what they think would be the most perfect album in some of their specific genres i am by no means an expert at anything. Let's just go ahead and point that out. But I am much more fluent in rock and, you know, like pop rock, funk rock, just rock in general most of the time. And especially some, you know, like some pump rock things and pump, <laughs> punk rock, excuse me, some pop rock stuff. And the occasional kind of modern. Not neo-jazz, but, you know, just more modern music, okay? So I'm not going to venture into, I'll have somebody on 
that's going to talk about some jazz. Have somebody on that's going to get specific into punk rock. I'm going to have somebody on. I already know who these people are to talk about singer-songwriter things, which I'm very not good at, Americana music. Um, so I'm going to talk about country music and country rock music. Um, some of my best friends. It'll be great. But today I want to talk about the list that I came up with just kind of thinking, in, in addition to a few ideas that were kind of given to me. And, and what I think makes a few of these albums just absolutely phenomenal, like world-class, world-shattering albums that a lot of the times flew under the radar, but that's kind of the point. They don't, that an album is not meant to serve the masses. An album is meant to serve those who it is meant to serve. And any good musician, and a good musician is indeed making a good album. A good musician would not put out an album that is fluff or full of things that would not need to be. It's not full of extra junk, extra music, extra songs that are just kind of okay. It's a good album. So the good musicians are putting out the good albums, are putting out the perfect albums. And that by nature, good albums are made by good musicians and good musicians make good albums. And that's, that's how it flows. And good musicians in the same vein don't care about top 40. Any good musician is not going to care about top 40. Uh, I think that's something that's kind of flown over. But let's move on. By the way, Eagle Rare today. It's a very fantastic whiskey. Bourbon. Excuse me. First album that I write down on the list. And the first thing, and I'll go ahead and say this out loud. There were, there's one album that has always stuck out to me as the con like the the backbone of this concept and it's because it was one of my the most influential albums I always listened to when I was younger I know that that's kind of like a, a biased anecdotal evidence of it but that's kind of the point um and then there's another one that I, I've gotten into more recently I'd say about three years ago maybe that is equally as important and is my favorite album of all time. But those two opinions are very important because a lot of the reason that this is, this is kind of a concept to be addressed is because we live in the digital age now where everybody can just search and people only listen to one song at a time when they single. I know this is kind of probably preaching to the choir of whoever is listening to this. You, you're probably aware that, yes, of course, it's the digital age. We all have one of these. We just search whatever we want to listen to and we be done. Yada, 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 right? So we know that's a problem, but it's worth addressing that before the inception of aux chords, before the inception of digital music, people still had to listen to CDs in their car. and Or tapes, right? Or records at home when they were listening and trying to get a good listening experience. And that's an important distinction because 
it's way harder to change records, obviously. It's way harder to change CDs. And you're less incentivized. You can't just hit the like songs button and click shuffle. You can't just hit the playlist and click shuffle. There weren't playlists. You, you, had, you had to burn a mixtape if you wanted a playlist back in the day. And it still only went in one order without you skipping. So all that being said... I do think the age of perfect albums is kind of dying slowly as singles become more prevalent. And that does mean that most of the things on my list are older, but that does not mean that good musicians aren't continuing to make albums. So without a doubt, the, without a doubt, without a further ado is what I was looking for. First album that has been on my list forever and has been a giant inception for me in particular, Blackbird by Alter Bridge. So the concept and the, the, the thing that always got me thinking about this album was it is impossible for me to listen to this album and not just feel really charged and really excited to listen to the whole thing. Now, that sounds obvious, of course. There's lots of albums that made me do that. Yes, 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 yes. But when making that concept for a perfect album, I think, okay, how many songs can I think of and name off that album? Several. Duh. Okay. Name them. Smells Like Teen Spirit. Uh, I don't know what else is on that one. I There's not a giant gap in between me trying to name songs off that album, right? I don't think, okay, Brand New Start's on there, and then uh 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 if i'm gonna name one song i just name most of the songs of the album and it's it's it gets easier right so i don't really think that's an issue i don't think that one song or multiple songs overshadow the other songs of the album in fact i think it's it's pretty in fact let me let me pull it up and just go ahead and rattle off the list and tell you I would I would venture to say that I don't think that there is a weak song on Didn't mean to play it. That was the song. Uh let me go to the album. I don't think there's a weak song on this album. Ties it bind, come to life, brand new start, buried alive, coming home, before tomorrow comes, rise today, one by one, watch over you, break me down, white knuckles, wayward one. What's the most undervalued song on that album? I think they're all just amazing alter bridge songs i mean is any is any one of those just watch over you and blackbird are probably the most played of all time blackbird being the title bird title bird title track song but i mean it's massive you know and watch over you is kind of the acoustic not acoustic but kind of acoustic vibey song so those always get overplayed by rock bands anyway you know you think um uh, I was going to name the Evanescence song and it is it is escaping me uh, My Immortal that one you know I'm thinking like My Immortal or something like that it, it, it jumps out uh, or Snuff by Slipknot or anything like that metal bands that are and rock bands that are always they're always having their, their acoustic or pared down or trimmed non-overdrive songs overplayed so i don't really consider that i think that that's a very rounded every song is great and they all create an experience so that's kind of 
criteria number two. I look for an album to have an experience to it. And I'm not talking about concept albums. So there's another thing we can talk about forever is just the, the concept of concept albums. Who hilarious, right? Concept albums were made that people have been writing concept albums for a long time. And the definition of concept album is so debated that it's really not even worth discussing at this point. I mean, everything is a concept album, of course, right? Duh, because why would you not say that it is? For you to say that you just made a whole bunch of songs just because you like them is so Americana and extra based that it's whatever. You know, that's what people will say. Just because they all work together doesn't make it a concept album. Just because they don't doesn't make it not. It's really just kind of a moot point. It's a blurred line. It's whatever. The, the point I'm talking about is not that it's a concept album. The point I'm talking about is the album has a concept. That it is not just a collection of songs. It's not just a collection of works. It is closer to a symphony. Where none of the movements are copied none of the themes are just ripped out and put it back into another movement and used over and over again to the same degree there's nuance to it right they tell a story it doesn't have to be a lyrical story either so i'm thinking uh one of one of my favorite albums of all time now is probably well i guess i could say this about any album by shub saran right so shub saran is is a guitarist that works a lot with Adam Neely. He has his own group under his own name and they do phenomenal work. Uh, him and him and all his team, mostly him and Adam and other people that appear in that same, that, uh, like Brooklyn scene. Right. So, and I think those tell a story too, because they have, they have influence in, in the way the tones of the guitars are, are transferred and transposed throughout the album, right? Everything has a nice clean arch to it as well. It's fantastic. The same concept applies here. And even then, the Shub Saran albums are a lot newer as well, so we could get into that if we wanted to. The point being, it, it has a concept. It has a flow. It's very important. Just because it wasn't a giant seller like Alter Bridge 3 or anything, which is probably... Definitely sold more copies, right? Alter Bridge is probably more well-known for some of their older stuff. But doesn't mean that that was bad. It doesn't mean that the album is bad just because it didn't sell. It means that the album was great and it delivered to exactly the audience it needed to deliver to. With that said, I thought about that album and so I started thinking, okay, is that the best album Alter Bridge ever made? Well, no, it's not necessarily. It's Probably some of their more influential stuff, some of the more well-known stuff. Watch Over You is definitely well-known, but again, for the same concept we were just talking about, talking about albums, I would probably say that um, a couple of their earlier albums are more well-known and probably more by their diehard forever fans, probably more well-known and liked, and that's fine. But when I asked myself that question, okay... So the perfect album by an artist doesn't have to be the best album by that artist. That gives me a lot more criteria. Sounds like an obvious thing, but when you think about it, it's like, okay, if you think about Nirvana, if it's not, never mind. aren't you just going to immediately throw out Bleach and In Utero? Like, yeah, probably. 
because they were definitely weaker, especially in a holistic view as, as Nevermind, from Nevermind. So from there, I started thinking about giants of the, of the rock world, things that I'm, I'm familiar with. And so the first thing, of course, I think about is Foo Fighters. I love Foo Fighters. Probably my favorite band of all time. Dave Grohl is 100% my favorite musician of all time. If you're not aware, I wrote a 20-page uh, graduate paper on him. So if he hears this, just kidding, he won't. But was it 20 pages? Was it 30 pages? It was long, right? It was longer than it needed to be. It was really fun. Anyway, so I started thinking about Foo Fighters records. What's the best Foo Fighters record of all time? Color and the Shape. I think that's pretty, like, duh. Okay? If you're not considering the first album, the self-titled album, which I think was amazing, but really raw. I think The Color and the Shape was where Dave Grohl kind of, like the, the Foo Fighters album, the self-titled album, was a concept of him saying, okay, well, can I still, like I still want to do this, can I still do this? And he did it, and then he says, okay, I nail down a lot of stuff. And that was like The Color and the Shape was him working out a lot of things, and that was why he was so particular about the recording process. I think. Just making all these assessments, right? I'm not, I have no clue. I'm not Dave Grohl. Wouldn't mind being, though. So, I started thinking about the Foo Fighters album. The Color and Shape's the best album, right? It's, it's just got to be. Is it the perfect album? Well, no. How many tracks are on The Color and the Shape? I don't actually know that answer. I'm going to guess, though. I think it's 13, maybe. I can't name them. We'll get to that in a second. 14. I was close. How many tracks are on the color and shape? 14. How many can you name? Okay. Everlong, February Stars, Monkey Wrench, Hey Johnny Park. I'm forgetting another big one, but like I said, whenever you think about... um. My Hero. That's the other big one. After that, I mean, how many people... I mean, I am listening to occasionally, like, Up in Arms, My Poor Brain, Enough Space. How many not seriously hardcore Foo Fighters fans are listening to those... They're not B-side, but they're, they're not ever long... How many people are listening to those tracks? They're not. How many people are turning on the color and the shape and they're like, I'm excited to listen to that thing. No, the Foo Fighters fan base, right? That's what's important. That They're not, not, not the hardcore most, I love Dave Grohl Foo Fighters fan base, but the, the people who like the Foo Fighters. It's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are like the people who like Alter Bridge too. Are they turning on the whole Color and the Shape album and getting wound up to listen to Up in Arms? No. They want to hear... They want to hear Everlong right at the beginning and just get to that... And I wonder... That's what they want to hear, right? That's what they're listening for. That's the big oomph of the album right or there goes my hero watch him as he goes right that's what they're 
This is what lines it up. Or just February stars, right? That's those big moments, but there's no, the album doesn't have a big scope. It doesn't have a concept. I mean, it does, but the, the concept is not well-defined in the album, right? You have to know more about the, the Dave Grohl experience for lack of better non-Jimi Hendrix referencing material. You have to know more about the history to understand the album, the color, and the shape. And I don't think that makes it a perfect album. I think a perfect album is something that you can put together, package, hand to someone and say, you don't need to know anything about this, but you need to listen to it. And that is what makes it beautiful. So, that can't be the perfect album. What is the perfect Foo Fighters album I'm already going to get some, I, I don't even know, probably not, but I bet Zach will do it. Somebody, somebody is going to text me after I, after I put this out and be like, dude, I know you didn't just say that. The Birdwick Foo Fighters album was Sonic Highways. Without considering the DVD component. That is a balanced, flat, consistent album. Every track is a banger. First off, it's just simple. Every track's a banger. It's awesome. Every track has a theme and a mood, but the 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 album also has a curve to it. And when I say curve, I don't mean like a giant bell curve, like it's it's like the best tracks in the middle, and it it tells a story, and it starts off soft, and it ends up no. I mean, the staging of the track. So when I'm talking about, so let's get back into the the meal concept. I'm talking about meals for food. All right, I'm talking about eating albums. I'm talking about engorging yourself on the music. Right. I think about each track on an album, just like each each. Uh, movement in a symphony is like a course all right and when you talk about a lot of these albums you have to consider it that way right and it doesn't have to be the true american course of like we start off with a salad and there's a palate cleanser between every meal i mean no the first thing on that album is something from nothing and let me tell you if that is not a hook line and sinker appetizer of just like you are staying for the meal that's what it is right and if i am a river is not just the most just soft lift like first off it's massive right it's just a it is a chocolate fudge sundae of a dessert that you did not see coming but it just lifts you down nice and slow sets you down and just as like, here's what you've experienced today. Hope you remember it. And then everything in the middle is straight gas. I mean, holy moly. Okay. But then you put the DVD component in. And anybody who watches, anybody who watches that entire eight episode series, if you don't eat that up for breakfast and just love it, you are a heartless human being who just does not understand 
music and the creation of it. And I'm sorry, but Sonic Highways is the perfect album. And with that point taken, I think we understand a few things about the meal thing. Let's move on a little bit to my favorite album of all time. Period. I don't know if it's because the way it was introduced to me, my history with it, or what. I don't know what. But I know that my favorite album of all time... I'd also like to point out that if you don't, if you like listening to an album, you need the physical media, right? Because it's just, it's just different. It's just better. This, I need to listen to my CDs more often. This nice, clean, pristine copy of Blackbird. Clean, pristine copy of Blackbird needs some more plays, but. My favorite album of all time, Unimagined, Hands Like Houses. Hands Like Houses is such an underrated band. They have been for so long. I know this. It's just such a simple disc, right? They've been underrated for a long time. Most people might know them from the Pop Goes Punk Um or Pump Goes Pop Goes Punk or Punk Goes Pop. Whatever. Their cover of Torn. It's alright. I mean, I think it's good, obviously. They have several studio albums out. Unimagined to me, and Hands Like Houses to me in general, is a is a prolific lyrical band, right? They're they're very rocky, especially in I would say that that's the least like rock oriented of their of their albums, but they just have so much lyricism and they have so much passion in the music the way they write it. But I think my I think I just think my biggest point with that with them is just everything everything comes at you full force. Like they don't hold back, they they don't pull punches. Not with the lyricism, not with the music, not with anything, and. It has consistency. You can tell that they put in work to everything they write. And that whole album is just is just bananas. I mean, there's nothing. If I could tell you to listen to one thing after you listen to this podcast, it's Hands Like Houses Unimagined and then the reimagined version of four of those songs that are stripped down, re-recorded. <sighs> so good, right? But... Again, same concept. I mean, there's 11 tracks on this album. None of them outshine any of the others. And and just like I was talking about concept, there's not a concept album. There's not shared themes musically necessarily uh, that are that are just giant in your face. There's not stuff like that. But there is 
concept to the album. You can even see it on the album cover. Each of the tracks has a different unword attached to it. So development's the title of the title track. The opening track is uh is unseen. Introduced species is unwinding. Weight is undone. Shapeshifters unbreakable. My favorite no parallel is unbridled. Right. Uh, unseen, unwinding, undone, unbreakable, untouched, unchained, unrest, unbridled, unbound, unkept, and uncovered. So, unimagined. It's a it's an album about the just just different mental concepts of the human being, right? R- regardless of what the content's about, I could sit here and talk about this album forever. I'm trying. I'm really, really trying hard not to, but. Regardless of what the album is about, it is perfect because it is consistent and because it delivers to its audience exactly what it promises. Take with that as you will. Let's move on down the list so this doesn't get too long, right? After this, whoo, this is one that was uh, kind of recommended to me. This is gonna this is gonna ruffle some feathers too. One of, if not the most influential new metal group of all time. Got it. Start in the 90s. Don't let me lie to you. When did the first album come out? I think they were playing together in the 90s. I really want to be right on this and not be wrong. I, that'll do, I guess. Hybrid Theory came out in 2000. Lincoln Park. So, yeah, they probably playing it. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Linkin Park. Perfect Linkin Park album. There's only one. Uh, well, mm, I, I talked about this. I would say... I kind of th- discussed this. I am willing to... It's, it's not a hunting party. <laughs> I would be more willing to accept that there are more perfect Linkin Park albums than just one, but I, I know what my number one answer is, and I know that it's perfect. It's uh, Minutes to Midnight. No, it's not. Sorry, it's not Minutes to Midnight. It's definitely Hybrid Theory. It's not Hybrid Theory, actually. So the problem with Hybrid Theory, like more tracks before it, the problem with Hybrid Theory and Meteora in particular, um, Meteora, f- absolutely phenom of an album. Not perfect. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons, that I discussed for a couple albums before it. Put those away. They're just outshined by a few good tracks. It's really the biggest deal, right? Numb. Several things on Hybrid Theory. Mostly Numb, right? On Meteor. So, the perfect Linkin Park album, A Thousand Suns. Easily. That album has got so much content to it. Just so much content. I can remember the summer it came out. And it's 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 got concept. It's got a curve. The messenger is oh man, is the messenger not just delivery? It's amazing, right? And then you got a thousand sons, I mean or uh, uh, the catalyst, right? That's what I'm thinking of. And then, which was one of the single track, I think the first single track. It's just very new Linkin Parky. Like, this was kind of the inception of, like, new Linkin Park. Like, stage two, stage three, 
Lincoln Park, right? I would probably say like Hybrid Theory and Meteora, Stage 1, Lincoln Park. Minutes to Midnight was like the height of like Stage 2 with like Bleed It Out and other thing, you know, uh, Valentine's Day and things on Minutes to Midnight. Valentine's or Minutes to Midnight, also very underrated album, I think, in general for a lot of the, the lower tracks. But Stage 3, kind of like Lincoln Park with the core new metal, new, more poppy concept, not poppy, but more uh, nuanced electronic modern concepts. Definitely, definitely coming with with uh, Thousand Suns. The Catalyst, a great example. But then, here's what makes it perfect: it's tracks like Robot Boy that really just shine that album out. And the the placement of of it. Where's the? It's 2010, right? Yeah, the placement of it. Right in the middle, the the programming on this, starting on starting on the Requiem, then the Radiance, then Burning in the Skies. Like it's very obvious with the titling and everything that it, that it has a concept, and you can hear it in the way they do it. They have an intro track. The Requiem is like a minute long or something, I think, two minutes. It's not very long, right? Um, and then you you get into Empty Spaces, When They Come for Me. Great albums, great in, great albums, great songs, great energy. Robot Boy smacks you in the face, and then you get into the like kind of the B side. It has a very it, it has a very big dip in the middle of it. I would say that Robot Boy and I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna butcher the Hornado de Muerto. Uh, I think so. I have never been able to say those words right. Um, just they dip it out, and they they keep the they keep the energy of the album at a steady level with consistency, where it has. Has kind of an uptick and a downtick and a wave form to it, right? It has it has not only a concept and content, but it has programming basically. Oh, that's another concept on a podcast I can't wait to talk about. So, and then you get into Wretches and Kings, Wisdom, Justice, Love, Iridescent, and then the Catalyst and Messenger, the 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 great one-two punch at the end of any Lincoln Park album, the Catalyst, the Messenger, just. Wow, right? So, I think that that's just, that's just it. And that's just another great example of, okay, is it the best Linkin Park album? No. Is it the most influential Linkin Park album? No. Not even close, right? But damn, is it perfect. Damn, is it good. So, I'm thinking about stuff like that. I get into this list a little bit, and I start thinking about, I just fit those concepts on other albums and, and albums that don't work. Some of you will like this. Some of you won't. What's the actual album? Uh, I think it's some of you will like this. Some of you will hate it. Some of you won't. I was right the first time. Four Years Strong. Not an original album, but a, an acoustic remastering, re-recording of a lot of their other stuff that they basically then put into recompilation. Same concept, perfect programming. Even though there wasn't like a, a fully rewritten or originally written album, the programming on it is so phenomenal. The, they re-orchestrated all of those songs to fit in that album, in that place. So the, prog- excuse me, the programming is just perfect. It's just perfect. You can't fix it. Let yourself be huge. Cloud kicker. It's modern minimalism. 
Minimalism kind of exactly fits the bar for this, so that's kind of obvious. If you haven't listened to Let Yourself Be Huge by Cloud Kicker, you need to go study and listen to that album, and it'll just, right? Or actually give it a, like a meaningful listen, sit down with some good speakers and listen to it. Change your life. I Think You Think Too Much of Me by Eden. One of the shorter albums in my list. But, content, concept, quality, layering, programming, perfect. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Just, you can't get any more concept, concepty in a modern way than that, right? I was air quoting for those that are maybe listening to this. You can't, it's amazing you just can't it's it's amazing i'll probably listen to it after this a little bit continuum john mayer i'm going to talk about this one with my americana a couple of my americana singer songwriter people after this uh, on a different episode but amazing album overcome all that remains i'm going to talk about somebody else too perfect life starts now three days grace Is it the best Three Days Grace album? No, but it might be. <laughs> Underrated, underappreciated content, concept, no overshadowing tracks, beautiful quality, and it delivered to its listeners. The people who liked Three Days Grace and wanted to listen to Three Days Grace and seeked Three Days Grace were not interested in Let's Start a Riot. A riot, let's start a riot. Right? No, they were they were interested in life starts now and some of the stuff that comes on. Just holy moly, is that album good? It's not. It's it's just. Is it the most influential? No, because the thing that put life the uh, put Three Days Grace on on the map was let's start a riot and pain. Lyrics, pain, lyrics, right. Life Starts Now has, I believe, 10 tracks, and they are, let's see if I'm right, 12. That was close. Yeah, very few, if not any, if, if just none, none of them are, are duds. Break, World So Cold, The Good Life, Life Starts Now, the title track. And just the rest of the album. This is a great album, right? It's a great album. It's 12 bangers. What's the point? People need to listen to it more. Um, let me see if I got anything up. Okay, so here's another one I want to talk about a little bit. Like I said, it doesn't have to be um, with lyrics, right? So a, a little bit of more, more modern sense, more probably leaning into the academicness of it. Square peg, round hole. It's easy to say that it's a perfect album when it has consistency because all of the tracks do share a lot of the same themes, the same tones. You don't have lyrics to write around. And it's just more, I mean, it's more ambient, really, is just kind of the best word, right? It's, it's instrumental, small group, chamber, kind of oriented music. That's what most of they do, especially their newest album, Branches, which is the one I'm going to talk about. 
I'm going to talk about them all, I guess. But Branch is the one that sticks out because it does fit the mold. Obviously, it has consistency. If you listen to it, it's got consistency. By the way, if you haven't listened to Branches by Square Peg Round Hole, you need to go listen to that album. Probably the best thing released in 2019. I'm going to double check that. I'm just going to be like super. Yeah, okay. I'm just making sure. Not sure what day it was on 2019, but like it was November. Okay. I was kind of afraid that it was like way more before that. Um, I should know that. I saw it live and it was like new, but I'm just making sure. Where was I at with that? Uh, if you haven't listened to it, you, you need to go listen to that album. It's amazing. But obviously it has the consistency. Duh. The point is not that it fits any of the criteria there that we've already talked about because it, it definitely fits all those criteria. The point is that album explores not only a mood, but many moods, uh, right? Many, many plural. It That album uses tones and timbres to replace and expose parts of music that we weren't capable of thinking about before. Not that it's like a brand new concept, right? Obviously, those are not new tones and concepts. The point is that that is a great, easily digestible way for someone who's not used to listening to more nuanced music of that style to break into that music. Like, I'm not going to go tell you to listen to Philip Glass first. I'm going to go tell you to listen to Square Peg Round Hole first. And then maybe slowly work your way into Philip Glass, right? Not that they're the same. They're very much not the same. In fact, let me go ahead and put that out there. They're not the same. But for most people that are my friends that are non-musically, not that are not used to listening to Philip Glass or not used to listening to that kind of music that are only used to listening to rock, pop punk, pop, country singer-songwriter, stuff that comes on the radio in his top 40, right, that it repeats into their skulls because all they listen to is that stuff, right? If you were going to listen to those, you'd be like, that's the same thing. The same person wrote it. They're not the same. They're not even close. But it's a good entry point. It's easy to listen to. It's easily digestible. It has head-banging moments. It's cool tones. It's cool... It's 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 great concepts that you can just your your head can you can wrap your head around, right? I think that's what makes it perfect, just because the target audience for Square Peg Round Hole is not who you think it is, and I think they know that, and the people who are listening to it are not smart enough. They're like, oh, I'm listening to this greatly. They're they're just they're on their horse about it. Like it's it's. I'll just leave it at that. Really, it's it's the, the audience is the audience is not who you think it is. So I think that's a great concept. Anyway, all that aside, I'm gonna address this all again at a later date with some more people about this concept. But this is a concept I'm very passionate about. I I hope that everybody's kind of enjoyed it, and I hope that you can bring the con you can. 
bring your own ideas. Wow, full circle, right? Roll credits, the podcast is over. I hope that you can think about it your own way and, and make some assumptions and, and, and make some observations about things that you listen to and what albums are perfect and what makes them perfect. And if you like my criteria, right, or how some of the things I said fit into some of the things you said and why you might have been overestimating the value of certain things you've been listening to just because of their worth based on their proximity to other things that are definitely worth things, right? Just because it's on the same album as a hot new single doesn't make it a great song. Just because it's on the same album as a hot new single doesn't make it a bad song. You have to look at it all in isolation. You have to look at it all as a whole. And you have to look at the whole even farther back than just the album. right? You have to look at the album in context with history, the things that are around it, the people who are listening to it, the target audience, what medium it was printed on or released on or whatever, and et cetera, et cetera. You have to look at music in a super holistic way to really understand why it was made, how it was made, and what the people were thinking when they made it. That's why we call the that's why we call the people who, who made all this music that we, we define as great geniuses and great, right? That's the stuff that Beethoven wrote by today. I'm using such an obvious example, right? Just just horrible. I'm so sorry. But Beethoven's everybody knows what I'm talking about. Stuff that Beethoven wrote is not by any means groundbreaking today, but it was when he wrote it. So, and I mean, <laughs> same concept. The stuff that Nirvana wrote was is by no means groundbreaking today, but it was when they wrote it. So you could talk about that forever, right? Dave Grohl is Beethoven. I didn't say that. Who said that? Not me, for sure. Definitely. Nope. Wasn't me. So think about it like that. You must look at it in a holistic concept. And if you're an artist just attempting to make the newest single so you can make some money on an album, you are by no means making art. You are making a profit. And that is not in the spirit of anything that you're supposed to be doing. It's horrible, actually. I think that everybody should always be striving to put out the best product that they possibly can and that that should be like step one, like super obviously, right? And if it's not, then maybe we need to have a discussion of some sort. We need to be holders, excuse me, I have to yawn. We have to be holding our artists accountable for these kinds of things. I'd put the podcast up in that sentence just in general, like a Make your own assessments about what's good and what's bad and what's perfect. Because perfection is attainable. I feel like people need to hear that and think about it more often. Especially in art, like perfection is attainable, but the the way that you attain it is not by being loved and enjoyed by you know, and, and deemed perfect by everyone. It's being loved and enjoyed and deemed perfect by those that you want it to be. So if I'm hands like houses and everybody who's my fan, who truly likes my music and listens to my music and buys the CDs says, Hey, this is a perfect album. 
then it's a perfect album. Period. And I think the people that Hands Like Houses want to listen to this know that this is a masterpiece, right? This, this right here. But the people who make music and they, they don't have a target audience because their target audience is everybody or their target audience is a demographic that their label says, hey, you do really well with you know, males age 13 to 17, right? Or baby boomers or whatever, then you don't really have a target audience. The target audience should be you targeting people like here, like in the heart, right? Perfect. Wish I had like a Cardi B album to hold up. No, I don't. I'm glad I don't own one of those. Not perfect. Can't wait to talk about this some more. Thanks, guys.